And so as you open to Numbers chapter 13, I wanted to share just a quick story with you this week. Um, my mom was telling me that Taylor, my five-year-old daughter, was having a conversation with her about God. So unprompted, my daughter comes up to my, to my mother and says, Nana, do you, do you know that God loves us? And uh, my mom was like, yeah, I, I do know that. She goes, Taylor, why, why do you believe that? And Taylor goes, well, in the Bible, it says that, that Jesus died for us. And, uh, and my mom's like, yeah, that's absolutely right. Jesus died for us. And, and, and she goes, Taylor goes, he must really love us. Isn't it amazing that a, a guy that I've never met before died for me because he loves us? And I, and I just heard this story and I just started getting emotional thinking about my five-year-old gets it, right? The gospel, the absolute simplest form that a guy that we have never met before in person, he says that he loved us so much that he gave his life on the cross so that we could have life in him. And for a lot of us, I hope that that's our perception of who God is. It's that simple. You see, Jesus said we need to have childlike faith, the faith of a child, because for them it's pretty simple. God loves us and he died for us, and so I love God. But for us, as we tend to get older, we start adding stuff to that. We start looking through a different perspective and through a different lens, and we start hearing things around us, and it starts to distort our picture of who God really is in our life. And so on your outline, I started it with a question today, and it just simply says, how do I view God? How do I view God? And that's a place for you to sit down, and I want you to write a few thoughts that come to mind the moment you think about God and who he is in our life. And today, as we talk about this story of the Israelites, I hope that we can uh, truly believe whatever it is we write down on that paper. You see, most of us view God as this powerful being that wants to uh, help us through our situation, that he loves us, he died for us, that, that is our perception. But because of life and the way we navigate life and the things we start to believe, we start to wonder, does God really have my back? We start to doubt that he really means what he says in his word. It just starts to creep into our lives. That negativity and that doubt begins to kind of occupy our thoughts. In fact, A.W. Tozer put it this way. He's a great pastor and theologian. He happened to say this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When we think about God, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us because that is the lens by which we view absolutely everything we do in life. It's the lens which you view uh, the mountain that you're facing, the situation that's right in front of you today. What you think of God is how you will step forward and take that situation. How you view his promises to you is how you will continue to navigate life and make decisions. You see, God's word says that as followers of Jesus, we are overcomers, that we have already overcome our struggles. Yet so many times we allow our struggles to overcome us because we refuse to believe that God will help us overcome. So many times we say it says in God's word that he is the one that will heal us. But, you know, I don't know that God would heal me. I've seen him heal these people and I've seen him do it before. But why would God do that for me? And that tends to be our perspective. We start to struggle with doubt because we start to believe the lies around us. We are navigating through life, listening and observing and seeing, and we start to hear these two different reports coming at us. This report that the devil wants to distract us and pull us away from God, but then the one that God gives to us in his promise and says, but this is the life I have for you. In fact, on your outline, I wrote Psalm 103, verses two through five. And I hope that this is the way we view God today. It says, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. He forgives all of my sins and he heals all of my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. 
You see, the evil one wants to distract us and take us away from God's purpose in our life, but it says that Jesus has promises and a promise of an abundant life if we align with his purpose and follow him and take a step of faith and trust him and believe his promises. But so many of us fall into the trap where we become unbelieving believers. I believe God exists, but I just don't know that I trust him 100% with whatever this situation is right in front of me, whatever this obstacle is that I'm trying to overcome. We struggle to take that step of faith and trust that he truly will do what he said. On your outline, I'd like you to write this down. It is the decisions we make are determined by the reports we believe. The decisions we make are determined by the reports we believe. Do you really believe that God will do these things for you? Is that where you stand this morning? In 1 John chapter 5, it says, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He will do whatever he can to get us doubting his promise. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. So which report will we believe about our situation? Are we going to start believing the lies that the evil ones wants to distract us and get that negativity creeping into our life? Or are we going to follow God and his promises for our life. And in Numbers chapter 13 is where we're going to pick up today. This is the story of the Israelites. They were in captivity for three or for about a little over 200 years, almost 300 years in Egypt. It says they were slaves to the Egyptians doing manual labor. It was not a good situation. And for hundreds of years, they prayed for God to deliver them out of Egypt. And so God raises up Moses who goes and confronts Pharaoh. As the 10 plagues happens, Pharaoh finally says, take your people and go. So the Israelites cross the Red Sea. God parts the water. So they go down to Mount Sinai where the presence of God meets Moses there and, and God is there, gives him the uh, Ten Commandments and they have this uh, amazing time there. And so for a couple of years, they start navigating towards the promised land. And this is a land that God, for hundreds of years, has said, this is your land, I want you to go claim it. And this is their opportunity to go take what God has given them. And so they get to this place called Kadesh Barnea and that's where we're gonna pick up the story today. Moses, uh, Moses sends out 12 spies into the land and it says for 40 days, they go into the land and they see who is there, what are we up against? Is, is there really these fruits of the land? God says it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Is, is it really fruitful for us? Is this really where God is calling us? Go, go see what you see and come back and tell us a report. So for 40 days, the spies go out and it says they come back. And where we pick up today, they're kind of giving their report of what they saw. So Numbers chapter 13, verse 25 is where we'll pick it up today. And here's what it says. When they returned from spying out the land... At the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told them and said, we went into the land where you sent us and underline it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. See, if you jump back to chapter 13, verse 23, it says from there, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two men. So they're not carrying these little bags that we get at Publix. It says that this cluster of grapes was so big, they had two guys with a pole carrying the thing back to the, to the Israelites. And so they come back and they give this great report. They say, guys, it's unbelievable. God didn't lie to us. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at this fruit. You can taste it. You can hold it. You can see it. It's exactly what God told us. But so many of us, I wish that was kind of where we stayed in our faith and we proceeded with that type of trust in God that God, in fact, didn't lie to us. He, he does help us overcome that situation. But everything changes at the beginning of the next verse with one word. With one word. In chapter 13, verse 28, the next word is nevertheless. Nevertheless. 
God didn't lie to us. It is a land of milk and honey, but, and for many of us, that's where our story is right now. God has a book full of promises for us right here. He says, I'm gonna help you in your situation. I'm gonna help you overcome your struggle. I'm gonna help you overcome that problem in your marriage. I'm gonna help you overcome the financial issue you're facing. I'm gonna help you in your faith and your health and whatever's going on, but, and that's where we get stuck. I know God says these things, but do I truly believe it in my life? Am I truly willing to take a step of faith, trusting that he will do what he says he will do for me? And so that one word changes it all. In fact, that word in the Hebrew is FS, which literally means ceasing to end or finality. So before they come back to give this report, it says they've already made up in their mind that we can't trust God to take this step of faith and trust him in this situation. Even though for hundreds of years, God has said, this is your land, They've already made the decision. We cannot go and take this land. And so the negativity starts creeping in. They see the the people on the land. They see what they are up against. So nevertheless, continuing on verse 28, the people who live in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. And so they start focusing on all the things around them that could go wrong. God says, step forward and take the promise. But they're like, well, what about these people and these people and their big cities and their armies? And our perspective tends to focus on our opposition and not the promise. And so 10 of the 12 spies come back and give this negative report. You know, the land is great, but I don't know that we can beat all of these people. I don't know that we can really go take the land. And on your outline, I want you to write this down. A negative perspective starts with choosing fear over faith. A negative perspective starts with choosing fear over faith. When we choose to live in our fear, it is almost impossible for us to step forward in faith because God will overcome our fear and he encourages us and he strengthens us to take a step of faith and trust him to conquer our fear. There used to be a show called Fear Factor on TV. You guys ever seen it before? Okay, like two people. All right, that's great. It really helps me hammer home the point here. The basis of the show was that people, whatever you're afraid of, they'd kind of make you conquer your fear. And if you do it, you, you win money, right? So for people that hate snakes, they lay in a tub full of snakes and they dump a bunch of snakes on them. They sit in there for 20 minutes. They get money. If they eat something disgusting or jump off a building or whatever, it was all about facing your fears. And so if you did that, there was a reward for you at the end. And I remember last time I was up here talking to you guys, I shared some of my fears with you guys, and I shared with you that my biggest fear in life are spiders, evil creatures. But, but here's what happened after that. I, I went home, and that next week, I was tagged in more Facebook videos about spiders than I cared to know even <laughs> existed. So no longer will I be vulnerable with you guys and share my fears. So we're just going to skip on ahead of this and just uh, move on. But we start to get negative when we choose fear over faith. But enter this guy, Caleb. You see, there were two spies that went into the land, and it says they come back with a positive report. It's like, look, I saw everything you saw, but here's what God's calling us to do, so we're going to go do it. And Caleb is one of these guys. He's not as popular as Joshua. The other guy got his own book of the Bible and takes over control of the Israelites when Moses dies. Uh, But Caleb is such an important part of this story. Only mentioned a couple of times, and every time he is mentioned, he continues to speak the promise into the people and speak it with such faith and certainty. And in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, it says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses, 
and said, we should underline by all means, go up and take possession of it. For we will underline surely overcome it. We will surely overcome it. Not an ounce of doubt in Caleb's faith. He says, look, I saw that all these people, I saw their cities, but we are called to go and take this land and we will surely overcome it. And why didn't he doubt? You see, over 170 times in scripture, the land that they're ready to enter, God says, this is the land that I've prepared for you. He said, this is the land that I have given you. It is written in past tense. It is finality. It is already yours. And Caleb says, I'm gonna believe when God says 170 times that something is mine, that he's actually going to give it to me. So rather than focusing on the distractions and focusing on everything that goes wrong, he says, I'm gonna focus on the promise and trust that God has got our back as we enter the land and face this opposition. See, he knew about the opposition. God knows what we have to overcome. And he still said the land is yours. And so he speaks the promise. He believes the promise and speaks it. And I hope that in our situation, whatever situation you're facing today, you're choosing to speak the promise and speak faith into that situation. So moving on, it says the Israeli people, the other spies start responding. It says, but the men who had gone with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. So they gave out the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom saw there are great men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. And so you get to this point where the negativity is creeping into your life. You're trying to be positive. You're trying to think about the promise. But the negativity starts to overwhelm you to the point where you start exaggerating things in your life. You ever gotten to that point where you start exaggerating things? Like this, man, it's so much worse than really it is. And that's where they're at. They're starting to say, look, they're so big and we're so small. They can step on us and annihilate us and kill us and take us out. You know, the land, it devours its inhabitants. It's not a place you want to go. They're doing everything they can to convince people this is not really what God is calling us to do. They start focusing on the giants in front of them, not the giant God who's got their back and supporting them into their situation. So on your outline, I want you to write this. A negative perspective comes from focusing on our strengths and not God's strength. It comes from focusing on our strength and not God's strength. When we start focusing on, can I do this? We've immediately started on the wrong foot because the answer is no, you can't do this without God. But the thing the Israelites had here was God said, this is your land, go take it, so I am with you the entire way. They can't do it in their own strength. They need to rely on God's strength, but they kept saying, in our own sight, this is who we are according to them. And so 12 spies go in, two very different perspective or outlooks on the situation come out. They see the same land, they see the same people, they see the same situation, but look at it two very different ways. When I was in college, we were coming back from um, a friend's house. We were heading back to campus and it was four lanes, this road that we were on. We come up over this hill and there was a red car that was about 500 feet in front of us. And so we're following this car and then all of a sudden this tan car that's heading the opposite direction comes across the median and hits the red car head on. And so we pull over, we call 911, we get out, try and do anything we can to help until the paramedics and the police show up. And uh, once they get everything resolved and, and take the people away, they, they came to me and said, the police officer said, do you mind giving a witness report uh, for what you saw? And I said, sure. And he said, tell me what happened. And so I said, well, we were driving down behind this car and I saw the tan car come across the median and hit the red car head on. And I guess that's interesting. And I was like, what, what did, why, why did he say that? And he said, well, this lady over here who also witnessed the car accident said that the red car came across the median and hit the tan car head on. 
two witnesses that saw the same account, the same accident, but had a very different perspective of what happened. And so this thing called the Rashomon effect in psychology where it tells us that two people can witness the same situation, but things in our life can alter your perception of what you saw. It could be previous stress, it could be maturity, it could be age, it could be previous experiences, but the minute you add stress to a situation, your mind starts thinking through those lenses and you can witness something very different than what you actually saw. The police officer said, you're right, you can see that the tan car came across the median, just the skid marks, the way it hit. Um, It was this car that happened, but we had two very different perspectives of what happened. And so 12 spies going to the land, it says they come out with two very different perspectives. But the only thing that was different between these 12 guys was the way they viewed God. The way they viewed God in their situation. Two of them said, I believe God, and I believe his promises. Ten of them said, I know God exists because we just saw him walk us across the Red Sea. He shows up at Mount Sinai, but I'm not going to believe his promise. And so their perspective is going through very different lenses, and that's where we tend to struggle. You see, the faith promise is right there in front of us. But do we really hold on to the promise to really trust that God will do that for us? Or do we dwell so much on the negative that it switches our perspective of who God, perception of who God is? And just like the video we saw today where they say, no matter what happens in this situation, am I going to choose to believe in God and trust in God that he has a purpose for this situation and continue to worship him? Is that where we're at in our faith, in our situation? Do you believe that God is actively working with you, supporting you, through your situation, or are we focused on all the things that could go wrong in our situation? And on your outline, I put this little test of our faith, and how you answer this question really helps you understand where you're at in your faith. And it's simply this. When I look at my situation, do I see an obstacle or do I see an opportunity? Do I see an obstacle or do I see an opportunity? Am I focused on the thing that's in front of me or am I focused on the God that's gonna help me overcome my, opportunity, my, my obstacle here? In Romans eight twenty eight. It says, and we know that God causes some things. He causes good things. Not what it says. It says that causes all things, good, bad, indifferent, to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things that happen are according to his will. And if we find ourselves aligning our life with his will and his desire for our life, we find ourselves believing the promise and trusting the promise and stepping out in the promise. And so Israel's at a crossroads at this point. They're trying to decide, what are we going to do? Are we going to believe the false report? Or are we going to believe the two that are the, the, given the positive report? What are we going to decide? In chapter 14, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. All of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So they start to cry. They start to mourn because they thought it was just going to walk in and, and inhabit the land. But it says, no, there's actually things that we need to do to align with God and to go in and trust him to help us overcome. And it says they start to mourn and cry. Number three, the third thing on our outline is that a negative perspective affects everyone around us. It affects everyone around us. When you start speaking ne- negativity about a situation, it starts to wear down people. If you know somebody negative in your life that's constantly speaking negativity in your life, you know how quickly that wears on you. And in fact, if you have 100 people speaking positively into a situation in your life and you have one person say something negative, who do we tend to listen to? It's always the one person. That's always what sticks in your mind, always what you're thinking about. And so that negative perspective starts to permeate throughout the Israeli camp and they start hearing the bad report about all these bad things. They start believing the lie and focusing on the obstacles because so many had a negative perspective that it starts filtering through there just like it happens in our lives where we start focusing on the negative and that's all we can put our attention on. 
And in verse 2, chapter 14, it goes on to say, the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or we have died in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a new leader and return to Egypt. And so you can start to see that when you get in that negative place, you start rationalizing the irrational in your life. Where it says the Israelites literally said, it would be better for us to waltz back to Egypt where God just delivered us from and say, we would rather be your slaves than to walk into the promise that God had for them. It says, I would rather die in this desert than take the land that God promised us. I don't even want to try. Why would God bring us here to allow us to die? And that's a good question. Why would he bring you here to let you die? The fact is he wouldn't. He's going to support you through that. He's going to fight for you. He's going to fight with you as you step into his promise. And number four, the fourth thing on our outline there is that a negative perspective leads us to believe the bad report. It leads us to believe the bad report. We start focusing so much on the negative, negative, we can't focus on the promise. But for so many of us, what we need to do is shift our perspective. You see, we, what happens is we get stuck looking at our obstacle. Again, the situation that you face today, we are focused on how am I going to overcome this today? God says, give it to me, okay? But how am I going to overcome this? And that's where we tend to stop and we dwell. But what we need to do is focus on your obstacle. What does your obstacle have to overcome to get you? Okay, let me explain what I mean. If you fast forward 40 years, Joshua takes over control of the Israelites after they've wandered, Moses dies, and Joshua's getting ready to lead the Israelites into the promised land. It says he sends out two spies. They go to Jericho. He says, go see what we got. Come back and give a report, and then we're going to go back and take the land. And so these two spies go in, and they meet somebody named Rahab. She hides the two spies as the soldiers are looking for them, trying to kill the two spies. And when they're there, she has a conversation with them. And imagine if this was our perspective of the thing that we're facing today. Here's what Rahab says from the other side of the coin. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She's not even an Israelite. She says, I already know that God gave you this land. She has more faith than the Israelites did to go take the promise. I know that the Lord has given you this land and the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land, these people that they were scared of, it says to have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you uh, when you came out of Egypt and when you, what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan and Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Imagine if that's how we looked at our obstacle. Not what do I have to overcome, but what does my obstacle have to overcome to get me? It says, look, we'd already given up. I remember when God parted the Red Sea for you. Here they are getting ready to enter the promised land. They forget the miracle that God just performed for them, that God is with you. He literally parted waters for you to walk through, but they're focused on the obstacle in front of them, not remembering what God has already promised them, what God has already done for them. It says everybody else knows but for some reason, we refuse to live in the promise. We start believing the lie. So back to Numbers chapter 14, verse 8 and 9, Caleb speaks up again. He says, if the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not 
fear them. Again, such certainty and faith. And in the, the adversity and he's facing around hundreds and thousands of people that are standing against him, he stands up in faith and said, God has given us the land. Why are we even having this conversation right now? He certainly will give it to us. But in the next verse, it says, but all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of the meeting to all the sons of Israel. And here we see the tragic failure that people face every day. They were literally standing on the edge of the promise, holding it in their hands, tasting the fruit of the land, seeing it right in front of them, yet they refused to take the step, even though the promise was right there in front of them. They held it in their hand, yet they couldn't take the step of faith. They said that we need to kill these guys who are trying to encourage us to take this step. And it says God shows up, and that's probably not a good thing for the Israelites. But it's really easy for us to sit here and judge Israel. In fact, I remember uh, when I studied, you're studying the Bible, you see the constant kind of failure of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament where they really struggle to believe God and start worshiping idols. It's really easy for us to look at that and start judging. And then we start looking at our own lives. How many opportunities have we missed because we refuse to step into God's promise? And in fact, if you fast forward a couple hundred years, the Gospel of Matthew talking about the 12 disciples. In Matthew 28, verse 16 and 17, it says, this is after Jesus was crucified. He rises from the dead, and it says the disciples go out. It says, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him. So he's raised from the dead. They go out and worship him. But then some doubted. Some doubted. It says that Jesus, who for three years poured into them, said, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to raise from the dead. And he's crucified and he raises from the dead. He's literally standing right in front of them. And he says, some doubted. Some chose not to believe it. He literally stood right in front of them. And I wonder how many of us sit here every day and we read the promises of God every single day, but we doubt. Will God do that for me? Is that promise really for me? Is God really going to work out my situation? Is he really going to fix my obstacle, the the thing that I'm facing today. It's right here in front of us. You can hold it. You can see it. But some will doubt. And my hope is today that we will take the perspective of Caleb and say, I'm going to trust God and his promise for my life and his promise for my situation that he will help me overcome. You see, on your outline, I want you to write this down. The consequence of a negative perspective is wandering in the wilderness is wandering in the wilderness. So many of us find ourselves, just like the Israelites, in a self-imposed punishment. And so many of us wonder why my life is not changing, why my situation isn't changing, we're going around and around in circles in our own wilderness because we're refusing to trust God and put our faith in Jesus and put our faith in his promise to overcome our situation. And so we find ourselves wandering the wilderness just like the Israelites. It says that God, when he comes down, it says that he uh, disciplines the Israelites. It says that he tells them for 40 years, one year for every day you were spying in the wilderness, you will wander in the wilderness. Everybody over the age of 20 will die in the wilderness except for Joshua and Caleb. And so everybody will die. In fact, you, you know, the Israelites said, you know, we're doing this to protect our wives and our kids. But he says, your kids, the ones that you said would probably die, they're the ones that are gonna go into the promised land. They'll inherit the promise. I will protect them even though you said that I couldn't. And so he leads the kids into the promised land and they're the ones that take the promise and they're the ones that take the land. So many of us find ourselves wanting to live for God, yet we always wanna keep a foot in our own strength. We wanna keep a foot in the world. We wanna trust that we can maybe do it ourselves. In Revelation chapter three, I shared this at the men's event a couple weeks ago. This passage speaks to me 
so much. It says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What happens is so many times we find ourselves wanting to live for God, but we have just one foot in the world saying, I really like what the world has to offer me, or I think I can do it in my own strength. And so we had just enough tension pulling at us to say, I want to live for God, but man, I just really want this over here. We find ourselves living for the world, but we have enough of Jesus in our life that Jesus is pulling us back this way. And so there's always this tension in our life, and we can't figure out why is there so much tension in my life. He says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. He says, just, you're, either you're all in or you're all out, but don't find yourself in between. He's like, either you're gonna trust me and believe me or you're an unbelieving believer that says, look, I know God exists, but I'm not gonna choose to believe his promise. I'm not gonna choose to believe what he has for my life. And so how do we be like Caleb and change our perspective? I'm not, we're running out of time, so I'm not gonna read through this, but Joshua chapter 14, verse seven through 12, you can read it on your own time, but there's a couple of things that happen the Israelites go into the land, they start taking over the land, and as they're kind of wrapping up their, their quest, it says that Caleb says, we're not done yet. This, this mountainous region up here, God promised me that land. He could have been content with what they'd already done, but he says, nope, I want to continue believing God's promise. So at 85 years old, Caleb wants to go pick a fight with these giants up in the mountains, which I love, just look a feisty guy. But he continues to speak the promise into the situation. And so how can we be more like Caleb in our faith? There's a couple of things that real quickly we'll just run through. Number one is that we need to believe God's promises for my life. Believe God's promises for my life. See, Caleb has always believed that God gave them the land and he keeps speaking that into their situation, even to the point where 45 years later, he's still trying to go pick a fight and take the land that God promised him. He said, I could sit here, but I'm gonna trust that God has this land for me. I'm gonna go take the land. And it's interesting to me, that under David and Solomon, this is kind of the biggest that the Israeli kingdom got. You see, in scripture, God lays out the boundaries of the land that he had for the Israelites. But at the peak of what they took over, the Israelites only occupied about 10% of the land that God had actually given them. And that was at the peak. They only took 10% of what was actually theirs. And I wonder how many of us find ourselves at about 10% of our faith. You know, that's where, you know, I trust God about 10%, but God says, I have an abundant life. If we continue trusting him with more and giving him more, in fact, Spurgeon put it this way, he said, most Christians are only up to their ankles in the river of experience. Some have waited till the stream is up to their knees. Even fewer find it up to their shoulders, but very few find it a river to swim in, the bottom of which they cannot touch. Where are you at in your faith today? Are you only claiming 10% of what God has for you? Or are you fully immersed in the promises of God and what he has for you, that abundant life that he has for you? Number two, the second thing we need to do is face your fear. Face your fear. Like I said, I'm sure Caleb didn't look at those giants and say, you know, I really want to go fight them, but he believed that God was calling him to do it. He believed the land was his, and so he chooses to face his fear and go take what was his because his perspective was that God gave me this land, so he's not going to let me die. He's brought us here this far. He has said, you will take the land, and so I'm going to go take the land because that's what God told me to do, and he told me it is mine. In Psalm 27.1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my defense in my life. Whom shall I dread? And if that's our perspective, what can overcome us? If our God is for us, who's against us? That needs to be our perspective about our situation that we're facing is that he cannot, we cannot overcome it ourselves, but he would not let us down. He will help us face our fear. He'll help us conquer our situation. If he is for us, who can be against us? And the last thing on your outline 
is that we need to find a community to go into battle with. We need to find a community to go into battle with. You see, Caleb didn't do it alone. It says he took an army with him and he went and conquered the land that God had for him. And in your program today, there's a whole bunch of groups that you guys can join. If you don't have a community that's speaking positivity into your situation, that's praying with you, that's supporting you, that is speaking truth into you, you need to find a community to do life with. You need to find a community that's gonna support you, to challenge you, and to grow in your faith, and to trust him and take that step of faith. My hope is today that as, as all of us think about the situation that we're facing, because all of us have something that we're trying to overcome or something that's constantly in our mind, that concern, that worry, my hope is that you will flip your perspective and focus on the promise that God has for you. When he is for us, who can be against us? When he is for us, what can overcome us? And just like the Israelites, like Caleb, who says, this land is ours, are you truly claiming all that God has for you? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time to focus on your word and to focus on, God, what you have for us in our life. And God, while I know it's not easy for us to, to sit here and say faith is you know, something we just go out there and do every single day, Father, we know that it is difficult that even when you stand in front of us, God, it's hard to take that step. But God, I pray that you continue to encourage us, to pour into us, to give us opportunities to trust you. And God, I pray that we will step out in faith, believing your promises, believing that when you are on our side, who can be against us, God, that we can overcome whatever it is that you are laying before us today. God, that we will quiet the negativity around us, that we will quiet the distractions and put our focus solely on you. And God, I pray today that for everyone in here that is facing an obstacle today, Father, that you will continue to speak the promise into their life. May they choose to believe the promise that you have for them, stepping out in faith, overcoming, just as you have called us to overcome, God. Father, I pray this week that you open up opportunities for gospel conversations, God, that we are able to share the hope that we have. We're able to share the promises to other people, Father. We're able to point people back to you. Jesus, I pray that you go with us this week, go before us. Father, until we meet again this Sunday, we love you and we praise you for all that you do. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. It's in your name we pray, amen.